0: All right, let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 58, our text today, and then we'll dig into this passage. And here Paul is trying to explain the resurrection to skeptical Christians. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he has given its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne born the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul is writing to the Church in Corinth, and as we studied last Sunday, if you were here when we were uh, Easter looking at the first part of this chapter, you'll know that this was a, a church, this were Christians in Corinth, many of whom didn 't believe there's such thing as a resurrection. And if you go back to chapter 15, verse twelve, just a reminder from last Sunday, look at verse twelve. This is how Paul started off this discussion of the resurrection. He says, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So there were some in Corinth, in the church, who said, yeah, resurrection, I don't believe that. And and it kind of makes sense if you know a little bit historically about uh, Greek philosophy, Greek thought, that that in Greco-Roman thought there really was no such category as resurrection The Greeks weren't looking forward to a resurrection. In fact, they kind of thought the human body was inferior and the human spirit was superior. And and that if anything, they wanted the spirit to escape the body and and sort of go go to a higher realm in some way. Um, So so this idea of the resurrection didn't make any sense to them. So Paul answers them. And that's what we studied last Sunday. If you want to go online, you can hear that message. But, But we looked at the fact that Paul argues that if you lose the resurrection, the whole Christian faith comes crumbling down. It's it's the foundation of what we believe. But now here in verses 35 to the end of the chapter, Paul kind of takes up another argument. So so he's continuing this challenge of trying to convince people that as Christians we can believe in the resurrection. And here are these Greek Christians going like, are you sure? Is this logical? You know, the Greeks are into logic and all that. And, And one of the questions they had was, how exactly does this work? What kind of body does a resurrected person have? Like, explain it to me. You know, verse 35. Here's the question guiding our section this morning. How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have? Like, okay, we're talking about the body coming back from the dead. Like, is this like walking dead? You know, are we coming back like corpses? You know, okay, so are we coming back as us? What age? Can I come back younger? Can I come back thinner? Maybe like a resurrection lifestyle lift? You know, something? Um, What about... I mean, like... Okay, if we're talking about bodies coming back, what are we talking about logically? Are are we... um, You know, what about somebody who's been dead a long, long time? What about somebody who's been cremated? Okay? And they were... uh, They they loved to sail, and so they said, take my ashes and sprinkle my ashes all over the Atlantic where I used to sail, and then a fish eats the ashes, then someone else catches the fish, and someone else eats the fish, and then now that person is in that person, and they're part of them, so the resurrection is like part of them going here, and how does God keep track of all the atoms? You know, right? So It's like that kind of logical question. Like, how does this work? How, how does the resurrection of the dead work, Paul, if you really believe this thing? And so Paul answers that question in the rest of this chapter gets into kind of the mechanics of it. And he gives a two-part answer. Uh, that there's a lot of little parts to it, but kind of there's sort of two major movements to Paul's answer that I want to point you toward this morning. And the first one is in verses 36 to 49. And basically, Paul's first answer to the question is, the resurrection body is going to be different. That's his first answer. God's going to give you a new body, and it will be transformed. It's going to be different. It's not just going to be you back. It's going to be you transformed if you're in Christ. That it's a different kind of body. That God is going to do something new. And though there may be some connection between the old and the new, the new will be different. And so he starts off here. um, before Before we even get to the resurrection, in verses 36 to 41, Paul just, he starts off just by reminding us that God is actually pretty good at making different kinds of bodies. It's really not that hard for him. He's kind of an expert at it, really. Look at creation. Look at all the different types of bodies God has crafted within creation. So you you look at verses 36 to 41. You get this kind of walkthrough of Genesis 1. First he talks about plants, vegetation, you know, verses 36 and 37. There's a seed that goes into the ground and it comes up a plant and there's different seeds and different plants and it goes into the ground as a seed and it comes up as a rose. Wow, what an amazing plant. You know, God can make different kinds of bodies even within the same plant. You know, it's such a beautiful metaphor for the resurrection. The seed dies and goes into the ground and then it comes back organically connected and yet something dramatically different god can do that or think about animals versus verse 39 all flesh is not the same men have one kind of flesh animals have another birds have another fish have another you know just on the video screen of your mind think about different animals and how they look you know think about a pug can you can you visualize a pug now visualize a pelican now think about a protozoa. Now imagine a praying mantis. Then think about a pachyderm. And then can you visualize a porcupine or a person or any other animal that starts with p? You know, can, can you imagine all these different creatures? I mean just think about all the animals God made. He's a creative genius. He can make all types of bodies. Not only that, but he can even make glorious heavenly bodies. In verses forty and forty-one, he talks about, you know, the the, st- the sun and the moon and the stars and the different kinds of stars. Paul knew that. We know it even more because we can go on our, our smartphones right now. Don't do it, and we can Google Hubble telescope pictures, and we can have our minds blown by the creativity of God with. With nebula and stars and... Oh, look at that star. Actually, that's not a star. That's a galaxy filled with stars. The the creative genius of God. God is the greatest creative genius that has ever been. He's the greatest artist of all time. The, The greatest artists that we've ever known are but dim echoes of God's creative genius. And, unlike most artists, this God is not a starving artist. He actually... He actually has all the resources he needs to bring into being everything that he imagines. God's not sitting around going like, oh, I wish I could do that, but I need a sponsor. I mean, he can just create. He can create whatever is in his mind. God is an awesome, creative God. So powerful. Um, Maybe I could just kind of pause right there and do a little digression. Can I just encourage you guys this morning that you... Worship an awesome God. He, he's capable. I don't know what you're stressed out about this morning. I don't know what you're anxious about. God is more awesome than that. You can trust him. You know, some of us are worried about things. We're freaking out about things. We've stopped praying. We've stopped having faith. We've stopped looking to God. We're scurrying around, sending off emails and trying to solve problems. And, and I just want to say, stop Look at God, pray. He is an awesome, awesome God. Some of us here this afternoon, instead of getting on with our tasks, we just need to go for a walk. You need to go to Nantasket Beach or Wampatuck or go climb up Blue Hill or whatever you do. Just take a drive down Jerusalem Road if you're not feeling like walking. Just look out. See what God has made. This is your God, an awesome creator God for whom nothing is impossible. So trust him. And back to the text. The point here is making different types of bodies is really no problem for this God. He's done it in creation. Already in the world around us, we've seen his capacity to make different things. So, verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. It's really not going to be a problem for him to give you a new and different kind of body. He can do this. It's pretty easy for him. And God will give us a new body. And we say, well, "Okay, what's it like? What kind of body will this be?" And you have this wonderful um, list of four pairs of words to describe both the body we have now and then contrast it with the body we will have then. There are these four pairs of words in verses forty-two and forty-four to forty-four. These these it's it's we we're sown this way, that's the language, and we're raised that way. We have this kind of body now that will die and be sown into the ground, but will be raised another type of body. And in some ways, this is one of the closest, I think, sneak peeks we get as to what the resurrection body will be like. You know, God, what will it be like? And you don't get the full picture in the Bible. God's always just kind of teasing us a little bit, little hints. Here's one of those ones where you get a little bit more glimpse into what the resurrection body will be like. So let's just slow down and look at these four, these four contrasting words. Number one, it will be sown perishable. It will be raised imperishable. So we're, gonna, we're sown, we die in this life. We live in a body that is perishable. You and I are perishable. We're like the milk carton. We got a stamp date on us. We're going to go bad. You're already going bad. <laughs> you're already perishing, you know. And so we eat right and we get plenty of sleep and we try to take vitamins and dietary supplements and, uh, you know, we avoid certain types of foods and we eat other foods and we go to the doctor for checkups. That's all good. I'm not saying, you know, let, it, let, let yourself go. Uh, you know, fine, work at that. I'm just saying you're perishable, and there's nothing that's going to stop it. Because ultimately, the reason we die and perish, it's not ultimately because we haven't found the right wonder drug yet. It's because we are sinful and broken people. And the consequence of sin is death. You know, look down at the very end of the, the chapter, verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. We've broken God's laws, which means we've sinned, and the consequence of sin is death. Death, sin, law, law, sin, death. In the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve were there and God gave them his law. You can eat of anything you want in the garden. I've given you everything you need. Just don't touch that one tree, that tree that showed that he was still God and they weren't. And, of course, they had the whole creation and just like us, they're like, well, what about that tree that God said we can't have? And, and they sinned. And God said, the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely what? Die. So death is not ultimately a matter of finding a wonder drug. It's a consequence. It's a curse that God has placed upon the world and upon humanity because of our rebellion and disobedience. So we are sown perishable. We're going to die. But we will be raised imperishable. Incapable of dying. Immortal. I hear immortal. I I think like Marvel Comics characters, you know. No, really, immortal. Like, not able to die. This new body can't die. Here's the second one. We are sown in dishonor, and we are raised in glory. In this life, our bodies are uh, just... Scarred with dishonor and shame. You, know, you think about our bodies and all of the shameful and dishonorable things we've done with our bodies. Think of the shameful and dishonorable things that, that your neurons have been used to think. Or think about the shameful and dishonorable things that your and my tongues have said. Or, or think about the, the dishonorable things we've done with our bodies, with other people, things that are not pleasing to God and then think of this this is kind of hard to think about but think about the shameful and dishonorable things that others have done to our bodies think about abuse i mean it's it's a shameful treatment of another person's body and abuse covers us with shame and dishonor that's life in this world we we live dishonorably with our bodies and we are dishonored by others in our bodies but it will be raised in glory. Glory. will be clothed with glory and honor. All of, of the stain and all of the shame washed away forever. Bodies that can no longer be stained. You know, like the, the stain-proof shirt that you never can quite find. This is a new body that cannot be dishonored, imperishable glorious. Reminds me of uh, last Sunday, you know, Easter. I love Easter. Everyone comes in in their dresses, and the guy, some guys have bow ties, and everyone looks all dolled up. I mean, even our, I, I didn't, even our intern, Dave Como, he had a tie. I was like, is this like the second coming? Like, I didn't know what happened. I, it was an apocalyptic moment for me to see him in a suit and tie. Everyone comes in all all dolled up and looking good. You know, this is prom season, right? There's all these kids putting on tuxes and putting on dresses and they're transformed before your eyes. Wow, you look great. Whoa, you know? Or a bride on her wedding day. Wow, look what they, whoa, you look amazing. This transformation into glory. Think about Jesus. In this life, shamed on the cross, he was covered in shame. He was covered in in dishonor and and disrespect and he took our shame upon himself on the cross. But think about Jesus when he was raised and after he ascended to the Father's right hand. Think about the glimpse of Jesus. If you want to know what glory looks like, read Revelation chapter 1 where the risen Jesus appears to John in glory. In glory and John is falling on his face before Jesus. We will share in his glory sown perishable raised imperishable sown in dishonor raised in glory sown in weakness my friends we are weak we're weak we think we're tough but we're not we're weak you know "Ah, i'm all i'm fine and then some little virus gets into us and next thing you know we're puking over the toilet for a day and get up one day and didn't do anything. We just get out of bed the wrong day and, ah, oh, my back, and then we're like this. All, you know, we're so fragile. Just a little neurochemistry has to be off in our brains and our personalities change and our perception of reality. It doesn't take much in, in the chemistry in our brains to, to make us not function the right way. We're very weak. We, uh, we, we make resolutions. All right, this year I'm going to do that and that, and, you know, by February we're like, i failed. I'm weak, Uh, I splurged, Uh, we're weak, we're weak people, our bodies are weak, we think we're so awesome, but you know, all of us has, every person has a breaking point, every person has a breaking point, there's no one here who is made of iron, we all can break, we think we're all bad and tough, but we can all break and, and be snapped by life and by circumstances, We're sown in weakness, but this new body will be raised in power. Oh, I love that word, power. Like, what is that going to be like? I don't know. I just know it's not going to be like this. I'm going to be raised in power and glory and imperishable. And finally, verse 44, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. We're, 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 sewn, we're, part of the, we're part of nature We're you know, we, we're made of atoms and molecules of this world. And, but we'll have a body that is from heaven. I don't, I don't even know what that's like. Who knows? Never had one before. Can't wait to test drive it. We're going to have a spiritual body. It's awesome. What a picture of what God has in store for us. So, you know, what's the resurrection body? going to be like, don't worry about it. God's got that taken care of. It's going to blow your mind. And then to finally cap off this first section, he, he does one more analogy. So he talked about kind of, you know, different bodies in nature. And then he gives these four pairs of words. And then just to, again, show us that we're going to get a different kind of body, he, he does this contrast between Adam and Jesus, whom he calls the second man or the, the second Adam And so so we have this contrast. There's the first Adam, verse 45, and the last Adam. So Jesus is like like Adam, you know, 2.0. But he's also the last Adam. There's not going to be a 3.0. There's just Jesus. So the first Adam was made out of the dust of the ground, and God had to breathe life into that Adam to make him alive. But the second Adam comes from heaven and is incarnate. And rather than God making him alive, the second Adam actually gives life to others. So he's a totally different kind of, of Adam. And all of us are in the first Adam, but if you, the question is, are you part of the second Adam? So in a sense, we kind of have this creation language going, right? So there's a, not only a new creation coming, but there's a new Adam who's come. There's, there's two humanities. Think about it that way. On planet Earth right now, there are two human races. There are those who have been born of Adam, which is Everybody. But there are some among them who've been reborn, born again, into the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And, and the new creation has begun inside of us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That, that doesn't just mean you're kind of different. That means the new creation with the new Adam and the new heavens and the earth has already begun in your heart, inside of you, in a little way. The new creation is already bleeding backwards to the present. And so, so we're part of the new Adam. Or, or, you know, think about it this way. You know, we look around at people. And like, okay, that's a white guy. That's a black guy. That person's Asian. That one's, you know, Latino. Uh, that that person, there's a man. There's a woman. There's that, that person's athletic. That person's, you know, short, whatever. And we, we kind of put people into categories like that as we look at their bodies. But God looks at the world and he says, I only see two types. In Adam, in Christ. The all of humanity falls from God's perspective into, in Adam, those who have been born in this world but have not come to his Son, and then in Christ, those who are in his Son. That's it. Two races, two humanities, each with a different Adam as their head. And so for those who are born again into the new Adam... There is a hope of a new body, just like the new Adam. And so ultimately, the question, what will our new bodies be like? And the answer is, it's going to be like Jesus in some way. It's going to be like Jesus himself, because we've become part, through faith, of this new humanity. So the real question to be asking isn't, how does this whole resurrection thing work? The real question we should be asking is, am I going to share in the resurrection? Am I part of this new Adam? Am I saved? Am I in Christ or not in Christ? Well, that is a nice kind of segue to the next section. So if you could just kind of put that question on hold, are we in Christ? Are we sure that we're part of the resurrection that's coming? And and that kind of transitions us to the next section. So verses 50 to 58 is kind of the second half of Paul's response. So, So the question again, just to give you the overview, the question again is how does this resurrection thing work? How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have? Answer number one, it's going to be different. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a new body. God's going to do it. It's going to be like Jesus. But then the second thing that Paul takes up is is the fact that that this new body is critical. You you can't, this isn't an optional thing. You have to have this new body. This is vital. You've got to be in Christ. You've got to be part of this new humanity that God's created. Why? Why? verse 50 because he says i declare to you brothers that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable we can't enter and inherit the kingdom of god dressed like this flesh and blood you know there's a dress code in eternal life the new creation has a dress code this doesn't cut it <laughs> you will not be admitted Right? It's a new Adam, it's a new creation, it's the new kingdom of God, and you've got to have a new body if you want in, because you just wouldn't fit there. It's a world of righteousness, and this body we have is plagued with sin and death. We need a new imperishable, glorious body like Jesus' so that we would belong there in this new creation that God is making. And so flesh and blood can't inherit it. Nor can the imperishable, the perishable, inherit the imperishable. The kingdom that's coming is imperishable. We're perishable. We must be changed if we're going to fit into the kingdom of God that's coming. Interestingly, this language of not inheriting the kingdom, th- this is the second time we've actually seen it in First Corinthians. You may have forgotten it. But let me show you the first time we saw this language. And, and I want to try to make a connection here. Go back to First Corinthians chapter 6. Go back to chapter 6. So here's the first time we saw this language about certain people not inheriting the kingdom of God. Look at chapter 6, verse 9, where Paul says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? So in chapter 6, the wicked won't inherit the kingdom of God. In chapter 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So so you have this connection between our moral character and... And our physical bodies. We are sinful people, we're wicked people who can't inherit the kingdom. And that wickedness has affected our bodies so that even our flesh and blood perishable bodies cannot inherit the kingdom. Do you kind of see the the connection there? And, And so our bodies bear the consequence of our sin, because the sting of sin death is sin, and the curse of sin is in the law. But there in verse nine, it's not talking about our our obedience or disobedience, not just the nature of our bodies. And then he goes on to get more specific, and he gives a list of what wickedness looks like. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's a sobering passage. I I just want the weight of that to sit on us. You can't inherit the kingdom of God if you're one of those people. And that's pretty scary because probably, including myself, all of us here are one of those people. And the list could have gone on. Paul just stopped the list there. He could have listed a lot more forms of wickedness. And so I look at that and I'm like, you know, I'm not qualified to inherit the kingdom of God. Not only do I not have the right kind of package, the right kind of body, the right kind of clothing, so to speak, but, but I also don't have the right kind of heart. I'm a sinful man. But the good news is that not only did Jesus rise to give us a new body, but he died to give us a new heart and to forgive us. Look at verse 11. He says, and this is verse 11, such an awesome verse. That is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So how can you be sure that you have a resurrection body when the kingdom of God comes? Well, you've got to have a right soul with God now. You've got to have your sins forgiven. And Jesus can do that. Jesus can wash your sins. He can forgive you. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, no matter who you are, no matter what your rap sheet says, no, no matter what cookies are on your computer, no, no matter what what sort of shameful history in your past that you're embarrassed of, Christ washes filthy sinners clean. That's what He does. That's why He died. And we can come to be forgiven and washed and set free. And those who've been washed in Christ's death, will be joined with his resurrection. If our soul has been forgiven, our bodies will be changed. So just as there's a connection between our sin and our death, so there's also a connection between our forgiveness and our resurrection. And So the question of the day and the question of, of the age is, do you have Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Is all of your hope in him Or are you still living under the delusion of, you know, I think I got this. You don't got this. You don't. You need a savior. You you can't make your soul right with God any more than you can make your body imperishable. You need his power to forgive you and you need his power to raise you. Salvation comes from God. It's not us like, all right, I'm going to try better. I'm going to be more religious. I'm going to get to church. I'm going to try to change some habits in my life. You need forgiveness, not some kind of self-help tune-up. Just as much as you need his power to raise you. We need the power of God to save us from our sins. We need the power of God to raise us from the dead. But then Paul goes on, go back to chapter 15. And I love this. He, he actually gives us a little peek forward at what that resurrection day will be like. Are you one of those people who just, when you're reading a novel, you have to turn to the last page to see how it ends? And some people like that. They're just like, like oh, I can't wait. I just got to see how this is going to end. And they flip ahead and you try not to look. Well, here's Paul. He's actually giving us a little sneak peek at the end. And he says, listen, verse 51. I'll tell you a mystery, which is the word mystery means like secret. I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to tell you how it's going to end. This is what, this is what the resurrection is going to look like. Ooh, now we're getting there. What's it like? He says, verse 51, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In other words, when Christ comes back, some Christians will be alive, some will be dead, will not all sleep. But whether you're dead or whether you're alive, we will all be changed. Like this, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. I love it. It's just like, how's God going to change this? It's going to go like this. Done. Actually, faster than that. Whatever light speed is. Ready? Go. Like that. That's like how fast. So fast. It's just instantaneous. It's not going to be like in a werewolf movie where the guy's like. You know, and there's 10 minutes of like. You know, it's not. It's not going to be, you know, like extreme home makeover where they, you know, get you out of the house for a week and all these guys come in and there's all this work that gets done. Because this is not a problem for God. This isn't a process. You know, you're going to, again, to to make the analogy between when you're saved and when you're resurrected. You know, when you were converted, when you came to faith in Christ, when you were born again, being born again is not a process. It happens like this. You're not saved, you're saved. You're unregenerate, you're regenerate. You're dead in your sins, you're alive in Christ. Boom. It just happens in the soul. There's no faith, there's faith in Jesus. When we're saved, there's an instantaneous moment of conversion. We may not know exactly when it happens, we may not be aware of it, but we go from death to life. There's no like in between dead and alive. We're spiritually dead, spiritually alive. And just as you were converted like that, you'll be changed like that changed. Because God doesn't need a process. He just says it. And the, and the benefits of Christ's power are fully manifested as we're changed. And then, of course, there's a trumpet. I love it. Whenever Jesus shows up, whenever you get glimpses of the end, there's always trumpets. Because it's the day of victory. It's the day when the king comes in triumphant victory And the trumpet of war and victory is blown over the world. And God's triumph and his his conquest and his complete domination over the world will be fulfilled. Because the trumpet will be sound and will be raised imperishable. Will be changed. Right? It's the victory language. Look at verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, when the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Here from Isaiah. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death will be done. Jesus has beaten the law. He's beaten sin. And when he comes back, he's going to beat death. Everything. Defeated. And don't you love the language of swallowed up? You think about it. That's a great little, that's a very visual word, isn't it? Death is going to be swallowed up. <laughs> Not just like death is beaten or death is thrown down. It's going to get swallowed. You know, when something is swallowed up, it just isn't there anymore. Like, you know, like when a boa constrictor, you know, you see the thing, they eat this, the mouse and they're like, oh you know, and they swallow it up. And there's just no more mouse. Right? Or, or a frog, you know, grabs the fly and eats it and it, it just swallows it. It's gone. No more fly. You know, a black hole pulls in the spaceship, pulls in the planet. It's just gone. Swallowed up. Or the earthquake opens, a big chasm, and the car falls in, and then the earthquake closes over it. The earth swallows it up. No more car. Or when the forces of Pharaoh are there at the bottom of the Red Sea and the waves come crashing over, swallowed up in victory. Swallowed up. So Paul taunts, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Jesus beat that. The power of sin is the law. Jesus fulfilled that. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so someday when Christ returns, the greatest, most powerful, evil force in this world, death. There's no more powerful evil force than that. It's death. Death is the great leveler. Death ruins everything. Death will be swallowed up in victory when Christ blows his trumpet and raises the dead. Therefore, verse 58... My dear brothers, and here we get the practical application. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. What does it mean that we're going to be raised from the dead? Two things. Number one, stand firm. Just stand your ground. There's so many things that that tempt us to doubt Christ. There's so many things that tempt us to move off of our faith and to to give position there, and and to yield ground on our faith. We we have doubts and temptations in our own lives, things that we struggle with, and and we just think, is is it true? Is the gospel really true? I'm struggling so much, I'm not sure. And and we're tempted to not stand firm in this faith that we have, that Christ has been crucified, buried, and raised, and that death will be defeated, and and we're tempted to pull back from that. So, stand firm, stand your ground. You know, we're, we're tempted to stand off our ground, to, to give ground by our families and, and friends. Some of you are in high school or junior high, and, uh, and you're like the only Christian there and, that you know of. And it's really hard to stand your ground there. You know, that's, that's one of the challenges. My kids are in public school, and one of the things that, that, just a challenge they have every week, is that there's not other kids around them, very many at all, who are saying like, yeah, let's follow Christ. So, you know, you're kind of alone sometimes trying to stand your ground. Or, or some of us, uh, y- y- you know, we, um, we're in this culture, this American culture that I think is becoming increasingly hostile to the gospel. And, and I wouldn't be surprised in the, if in the next five to ten years we continue to see a deterioration of sort of the atmosphere. It's going to be harder to stand for the gospel in this culture over time. And, and, and I think we're going to be tested. As Christians, we're going to have to decide if we're really going to stand our ground and, and be willing to suffer, suffer the consequences for standing for Christ in and, and the kind of moral life that he calls us to that the world just does not understand anymore. But we can stand our ground. The Christians who are in Iran today can stand their ground. The Christians in North Korea, in Saudi Arabia, and other countries can stand firm, even if it means they lose their lives. The the Christians in Rome, back in Paul's day, could stand firm. What are you going to do? Feed me to the lions? Okay, whatever. Death will be defeated. You, You can't do anything to me because Christ is risen and I will be raised with him. So do your worst. Where, oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? Fine, I'll be cat food for the lions. Whatever. I'm not moving from Christ and the gospel. I'm standing here. And whether that's in in a sunny climate or in a storm, I'm standing on the gospel here. Like Luther, here I stand. We need to be willing to stand for Christ and the gospel. And then it's not just standing, but it's working. And here's a second application. I'll close with this. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain to live for Christ. So I don't know what your, what your labor for the Lord is. We all have different labors for the Lord. Some of us here are parents or grandparents, and we have little kids. And, and your, part of your labor for the Lord is to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's really hard work. Don't grow weary. Give yourselves fully to that work, because I know as a parent, it feels very vain sometimes. <laughs> it's not in vain. It's not in vain if it's for the Lord. Some of you folks just are in the nine to five grind, You go to work, trying to honor God in your work. You're going to your work saying, Lord, I want to honor you with how I do my work. I want to glorify you with how I I conduct myself with my fellow employees. I want to be a light among them or in school. I want to do my work to honor God and I want to honor you in how I respond and relate. And some days that is flat out exhausting. Because you feel like, what's the point? I'm just, I am the, I'm the odd man here. No, no, no. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. All of that counts. Because Christ in his kingdom will triumph. And so what you're doing for his kingdom matters and it counts. Those of you who are are ministering in other ways. Some of you are working for the Lord. You lead a Bible study. You teach little kids. you, uh, You have a little ministry you do on the side. Man keep up that labor for the lord it's not in vain some of you here are are in full-time ministry or working toward full-time ministry and being in ministry sometimes you can feel like it's in vain but it's not so give yourself fully to the work of the lord whatever god has given you to do do it for him because in the end jesus wins And, and and everything we do matters because his kingdom will come so give yourselves to the Lord. And let's all of us give ourselves to the Lord of being more bold proclaimers of Jesus to our friends and neighbors. Let's stop being afraid to mention the name of Jesus, to turn the conversation toward Christ, to ask people what they believe, to not worry about what the world's... I mean, what are they going to do? Throw us to the lions? Big deal. What's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to think we're weird because we're Christians? I mean, what? Who cares? Let's be bold in our faith and do the labor of an evangelist here on the South Shore of Boston. So stand your ground. Work for the Lord. Because Jesus has already got the whole thing in the bag. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that You have washed away our sins, and we thank you that you will give us a new body to go with this new heart and this new spirit you've given us. Thank you that the new creation has already begun. We feel it in us, and thank you that someday we will be changed. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters here and for myself that as we live in this in-between period between a new heart and a new body, that, Jesus, you would help us to stand firm, to not flinch from the gospel, that you would help us to work hard and to serve you, Lord. Help us to not grow weary and help us not to see our work is in vain. And God, I just pray for anybody here who, who's questioning, wondering, is this true? Could Jesus really save me? Is there such a thing as a resurrection of the dead? Lord Jesus, I just pray that by your spirit, you'd place your hand on their heart and give them that, that faith. That they can't turn on themselves. And Lord, I pray that they would see your glory and your awesome saving power and that they would put all of their hope in you and not in themselves, I pray. Oh, Jesus, save, save us by your gospel, we pray in your name. Amen.